You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. Amen. Well, the title of my message this morning is The Scarlet Man. The Scarlet Man. Come with me to Matthew 27, verse 28. Matthew 27, verse 28. This is Jesus. He's now been betrayed by Judas and uh, he's been arrested by Caiaphas, the high priest. And now they've, uh, they've brought him to the Romans because the, the, the chief priests, they, they don't want blood on their hands. And they know that the barbaric Romans don't care about God's righteous laws. And so they're thinking they can get the, the dirty work of killing Jesus done by the Romans. So they hand him over to the Romans and then the Roman soldiers, they don't realize in just their pride and their arrogance, they strip Jesus. It says, and they stripped him and they put on him a scarlet robe. They put on him a scarlet robe. And then the next verse says, they began to bow the knee to him and began to mock him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Hail, King of the Jews. Uh, they, they put a scarlet robe on him because, you know, kings wore, wore purple, wore crimson. But scarlet is, if you look up scarlet in the dictionary, it says it's a brilliant red color. It's a brilliant red color. How many people know that, that, that God is never surprised? No, nothing ever takes him by surprise. And so even in this, they're clothing him in scarlet, the color of blood. Scarlet through, throughout the scripture stands for blood. It stands for sacrifice and it stands for uh, atonement scarlet and so they're already clothing Jesus in a garment that says sacrifice blood atonement and they don't even realize and they're just the Romans who are Gentiles they're not even aware of what is what is taking place and they're not even aware that it's the Passover they're not aware that a lamb is about to be slain so now come with me to uh, John 1 Jesus has a cousin called John the Baptist we know him as John the Baptist and John is baptizing people in the Jordan River and as he's baptizing people in the Jordan River God had spoken to John and he said John you're going to make straight the paths for the Messiah to come and you'll know the one of whom I'm talking because you'll see the spirit descend upon him like a dove and remain upon him so John's baptizing in the Jordan River and it's kind of like sees it like a, a light and he's baptized and he looks and then he realizes the, the light is resting on somebody, is not lifting up. And so he points his finger through the crowd. And there on the bank of the river was Jesus. And he points his finger at Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. So now come with me. To John chapter uh, to John to Exodus chapter twelve Exodus chapter twelve Exodus chapter twelve is uh, the Passover. It talks about the Passover. I'm going to kind of skip through just for, for time's sake because it's going to be powerful when we land. So Exodus chapter twelve verse one says, "Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year." Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for the household. Now go to verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. 
Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. Shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. So on the two doorposts and then on the, the lintel of the houses. Now go over to verse 21. In verse 21 it says, Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of his door, out of the door, excuse me, of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over. That's what's called Passover. The Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. Will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. The destroyer will come and when he sees the blood on the lentils of the doorposts, he will pass over. Everything in the scripture that we're reading here is, is a shadow and a type to be fulfilled by the Messiah. So when John the Baptist points out, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world, the Israelites and the Jewish people who were there knew immediately what he was talking about, that Jesus would be the Lamb. There was a Lamb that was uh, slain on Yom Kippur, a one-year-old Lamb without blemish in the Day of Atonement. And then there's a Lamb that's slain at Passover for each and every household. And, and John the Baptist was saying that that. Jesus was the Lamb of God, this Lamb. What's interesting is uh, Jesus grew up in Nazareth. He grew up in Galilee. People said, man, can anything good come out of Nazareth? But that's what, that wasn't where he was born. Who can tell me where Jesus was born? He was born in Bethlehem. He was born in Bethlehem because the Bible says that a, that a decree went out by Caesar Augustus that the whole world should be registered in a census and because Mary and Joseph were of the house of David, they had to make the trek from right up north in Israel and come all the way down to Judea to Bethlehem. And the Bible says that while they were in Bethlehem, her waters broke. She went into labor and she gave birth to Jesus. So Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Bethlehem, Bethlehem means house of bread. House of bread. God fed the children of Israel manna in, in uh, the wilderness. It was called the bread of heaven. But the, the word mana, mana in Hebrew means what is it? What is it? Because they didn't know what it was. <laughs> Jesus says, I am the bread that came down from heaven because the people wouldn't recognize it for what it was. If you go to Jerusalem, Jerusalem is very, very built out. And so, so that they don't have to import the, the lambs from Galilee or from Capernaum or the other places that are more wide open. Right just outside, maybe just a few miles outside of Jerusalem is Bethlehem. And Bethlehem is reserved as pasture lands because that's where the priest, the high priest, would take the lambs because of its close proximity to 
Jerusalem and to the temple. So all the, the lambs that were always sacrificed in the temple were taken from Bethlehem. That's why Jesus was born in Bethlehem. That's why the angels appeared to the shepherds in Bethlehem to say that your constant raising of the sheep, the fulfillment of all that you're doing, you're going to be the first to see the fulfillment. Now watch this. The Bible says that the high priest, the high priest was the one who had to select the lamb to be slain for on Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, but also for the, the Passover. And the lamb had to be examined. It had to be without blemish. It had, had to be spotless. Well, the high priest was part of the Aaronic priesthood, came from, from uh, Aaron. Well, it's interesting because John the Baptist, his father Zacharias and his mother Elizabeth were both of the house and the lineage of Aaron. Aaron's son Abihu. So John the Baptist was fulfilling his Aaronic priesthood when he pointed and says, this is the lamb who's going to be selected to take away the sins of the world. Come on, how many people know that God might know a thing or two? So now I want you to come with me to, to Psalm 105. I'm going to read 36 and 37 in Psalm 105 because I want to show you what the blood did. So we know that Israel were, were slaves in Egypt for 400 years, 10 generations, 400 years. And God got them out with a mighty hand. There were nine judgments before the 10th one. The 10th one was the death of the firstborn. And sometimes we can read that and say, man, you know, that's, that's pretty brutal. Like, God, wow, you had to kill the firstborn. The firstborn belongs to God. The Bible says the first that opens the womb belongs to God. And we live in a world where men in their rebellion refuse to give God the honor that is His. But it was the death of the, of the firstborn that brought them out of Egypt. The Bible says when God brought Jesus, His firstborn, into the world, it was because God would be giving His firstborn as a sacrifice to bring you and I out of bondage to sin, out of bondage to Satan, out of bondage to slavery, he would bring us out into bondage to death and corruption into everlasting life through the death of his firstborn. So now here in Psalm 105 verse 36, it says, He also destroyed all the firstborn in their land, like we just read, the first of all their strength. And then in verse 37, it says, He also brought them out with silver and gold, and there was not one feeble among them. He also brought them out with silver and gold, and there was not one feeble among them. So let me just tell you, in a moment we're going to take communion, the, the, the bread and the wine, symbolic of the Passover, symbolic of what Jesus did. But I need you to understand how powerful the blood is, because one of the things that I've noticed is that, that we get saved, or maybe we had a, a religious upbringing, but I'm not sure we completely understand the gravity, the completion, and the power of what Jesus Christ did on the cross when he became the scarlet man. So here it says that when they came out of Egypt, they came out, they were delivered, they were, they were saved. So there's salvation. 
They were no longer going to work for Pharaoh. They were going to be delivered after 400 years. They were going to go. God was going to lead them through a wilderness into the promised land that is to Israel today, a land flowing with milk and honey. So they were saved. They weren't just saved, but they were delivered. Pharaoh did not want to let them go. He liked having them as a slave labor class, but they were not just saved out of Pharaoh's grip. They were delivered. So I want you to know there is complete deliverance. You may say, well, you know what? I became a Christian, but I still struggle with this sin. I still struggle with an opiate addiction. I still struggle with a gambling addiction. I still struggle with anger. I still struggle with lust. I, I, I still struggle with, with a drug addiction. I still struggle. I want you to know that Jesus didn't just save you. He also delivered you from all the power of the enemy. He delivered you from all the power of the enemy. Hosea 4 verse 6 says, my people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed. For, so a lot of people don't realize we just coexist. That's why it's a popular sticker. We, we just, because we just think, oh, well, maybe I just meant to coexist with, maybe this is as good as life gets. Maybe I'm just, maybe, you know, we've all got our struggle. We've all got our limp. But, but I want you to know that Jesus doesn't just, he completely saves you. He doesn't just deliver you. He completely delivers you. But watch this. It says, and he brought them out with the silver and the gold. It's going to affect, offend the religious people. So let me just say this. God takes you out from under a curse, under lack, under struggle, and into prosperity and blessing. God takes you out from under that and into prosperity and blessing. Now, a lot of people, there he goes again. That's that Joel Osteen church. He's just preaching prosperity doctrine. It's a prosperity gospel. Let me tell you, there's only one gospel, and it has prosperity in it. So a lot of people say this. A lot of people say this. A lot of people say, well, you know, if, I, if I'm poor, then I'll be dependent upon God. If I'm poor, well, when, when I go downtown, I see the poor who are supposed to be dependent upon God, but they're asking people to help. So either is God helping or why do you need if God... Is... But this is what I've found. I've actually found that as you begin to prosper, Andre, as you have a number of different businesses and different contracts... Andre's dependent upon God because God has blessed him. He's taken him from Chicago, put him through college. He's incredibly educated. He's got a magnificent bride. He's got three wonderful children. God's blowing up everything the man touches. But if you ask him, are you less dependent upon God now or more dependent on God? He will say, I'm more dependent on God. But here's the real reason the devil throws that lie that somehow if you're poor, you're dependent upon God. What he's saying is if you're poor, no one can ever depend on you. If you're poor, no one can be dependent upon you. See, because it's as you prosper, you now position yourself where you can, like Leanne and I, we have six, you know, sponsor kids at the moment. And uh, they're all over the world. And we've got five with compassion and, and one with uh, world vision. And, but the very first sponsor child we, we ever got was when we were living in New Zealand. And we, we were barely making any, any money. We were on 18,000 uh, New Zealand dollars a year, which is about 11,000 US dollars a year. We had two little boys and we were just living hand to mouth, hand to mouth. And I was at a conference and my hand went up in one of those moments, you know, they show those videos and you're crying. And I, you know, and so, and it was a dollar a day, it was $30 a month. And so I got little beer, little uh, Biri Faibi from Uganda. And, uh, and so for uh, 18 years, we, we, looked after this young lady, $30 a month. And, uh, and I remember coming home and Leanne's like, okay, obviously you were caught up in emotion. 
But at the end of the month, we have, once we pay all our bills, or at the end of the week, sorry, we have $48 left. That's it. And you've just put this in there. How are we going to live? I'm like, oh, dear God, what have I done? And, uh, you know, we've got 18, an $18 window here. But, um, but God was so good because I'm telling you, ever since we stepped out to say, hey, we'll take responsibility and have somebody who was dependent on us fulfilling our word. It was incredible how every single month there'd be a, like some little miracle. Someone would leave some cash in our, in our, in our post box. I'd go out there and get the mail and there'd be cash in there or there'd be a check or someone would buy us dinner or someone would give us a surfboard. Or so. It was like every month something would happen. Every month something would happen. It was just crazy. How many people know that God did not put the, the silver and the gold and all the precious minerals in the earth for the wicked to use it to promote wickedness? He put all of those resources for his children, for his sons and daughters. And just, just, just break any lie. Just today, break any lie. The Bible says when he brought them out, he brought them out with the silver and the gold. He brought them out with the silver and the gold. Now, watch this. Why would he bring them out with silver and gold? Well, number one, he was recompensing them for all those years of slavery. But number two is because he's about to take them into a wilderness where they're going to be traveling for 40 years. And he knows they're going to need some church. They're going to need some church in the wilderness. And so he says, well, when you get out in the desert, once you get out there, I'm going to take an offering. So the Bible says, Moses gets up and says, we're going to receive an offering. We're going to build a tabernacle. God showed me on the mountain what he wants. And so I need you to bring gold for the things of gold, silver for the things. Of... If anybody could have said, whoa, 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 hang on. We've been slaves for 400 years. They didn't give us stock options. We didn't just work for Google or Apple. We were Pharaoh's slaves. But they came out with the silver. And the, and the Bible says that all the people came and were giving. And Moses had to stop the giving. I mean, that's going to be a great day. I can't wait for that day. All right, no more. Will you stop giving? I mean, that's going to be a great day. They had more than enough. And they built, they, they built things in that wilderness that years later, wicked kings in surrounding nations coveted and wanted it to plunder and destroy the temple to steal these these artifacts the the golden lampstand the menorah the the golden table of showbread and the ark of the covenant with the two cherubim made of solid gold with the wings touching one another god brought them out and brought them into wilderness and the bible says their shoes did not wear out he blessed and prospered them while they walked through a wilderness to a land flowing with milk and honey Please understand that God wants you to prosper. God wants you to flourish. Now, if you're saying, hey, you know what? Okay, I, I'm just not comfortable with that. I'm not comfortable. Here's the beautiful thing. Prosper, but here's the good news. There's no law that says you have to keep it. If you're like, hey, I'm making way too much money. I don't know what to do. I feel uncomfortable with it. You make an appointment with Pastor John. He can, he can help. We can relieve that burden. We just took on eight villages in Peru. We've got five orphanages in Mexico. I guarantee you we could. But watch there. Some people say, well, hang on, hang on, hang on. You know, if I prosper, what's to keep me from putting my trust in riches? Because the Bible says how difficult, not how impossible, how difficult is it for the rich to enter the, enter the kingdom of heaven? And you're 100% right. It's very easy. The Bible says that the, the, the rich man's wealth becomes his strong tower. So we have the antidote every single week. Right here at this place, 
somebody anointed like Marissa Pyle will get up and you're like, I wish she would just sit down. And she's going to talk about tithes and talk about offerings. And you're like, I can't believe But here's the thing. This is what I've discovered. I've discovered that greedy people don't give and giving people don't greed. The antidote to greed is giving. For God so loved the world, He... And you'll find that as you give, it'll keep... And you, you'll find that God has no problem. If He can get it through you, He'll get it to you. If God can get it through you, he'll get it to you. So someone once said to me, well, what about the rich young ruler? Jesus wanted the rich young ruler to sell everything, have and give and have nothing. Nowhere does Jesus say have nothing. Because remember Jesus standing with the rich young ruler and he's like, hey, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. He says, oh, all these I've kept since I was a child. And she's like, really? That means there's just two of us humans that have kept the entire Torah. Really? I'm about to give my everything on a cross. Let's just test so how much of that law is really in you. He says, go and sell everything you have. Give to the poor. Follow me and you will have treasure in heaven. The Bible says, by this he went away sad, having great riches. The truth is he didn't have great riches. Great riches had him. Because if you have something you can't give, you don't have it. It has you. If you have something you can't give, you don't have it, it has you. And let me just say this. A lot of people say, oh, well, you know, you have treasure in heaven. Treasure in heaven is not treasure for heaven. People say, well, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm laying up treasure. I'm laying up treasure in heaven, you know, so that when you get there, there's a nice little retirement nest egg up there. But honestly, eternity, eternity is forever. So no matter how much you, at some point is going to run out. I've got one trillion dollars. But what happens on day trillion and one? Oh. We, we don't, treasure in heaven is not treasure for heaven. When you and I get, arrive in heaven, there's not going to be a panhandler at the gate. And you're like, oh, this is awkward. Uh, I want to get into heaven. Oh, Peter's screening people at the gate. Uh, hey, this could, this could bear well. Let's give this panhandler. And you're like, Oh, man, I don't even have any pockets. I don't even have a wallet. There's not going to be a panhandler. You know, who are you? I was the thief on the cross. I didn't have time to lay up any treasure. Now I'm 2,000 years later still. This, come on, how many of you know there's no poverty in heaven? When Jesus says lay up treasure in heaven, it's not for heaven. It's for here and now. I was, I was in Atlanta and there was a, uh, this bomby car and it had a bumper sticker, my treasure's in heaven. And as I walked past it, the Holy Ghost said, they need, really need to make a withdrawal. Because it's, it's not meant to be for heaven. It's for here and now. You walk under an open heaven right here and now. Every time you give, it goes up to your account. The Bible says Cornelius was the first Gentile. He was a Roman centurion, but he was the one that received the Holy Spirit. Because his giving and his prayers had come up before God in heaven as a memorial. So his giving and his prayers were in heaven, but they weren't for heaven. 
that were for him to be blessed, the first Gentile to receive the Holy Spirit right here and right now. So they come out with the silver and the gold. So just, just get fine with prospering. You will prosper. You will flourish. Jesus shed his blood on the cross to redeem us from the curse and bring you into blessing. You are saved. You are delivered. And you are redeemed from the curse so that the blessing can come. But watch this. It says there, and there was not one feeble among them. Now, hang on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. There was two million Israelites that came out of Egypt. They had to collect the straw and then bake the bricks from the straw they collected. Like the taskmasters were brutal, whips on their back, working 16 to 18 hour days. You can't tell me there wasn't a 70 year old who's kind of, you know, with a, with a bad back from carrying bricks and lugging bricks around. You can't tell me there's someone with bad knees or a twisted ankle. The Bible says two million Israelites, there was not one, not one feeble, not one feeble, not one with a fever, not one with a sniffle, not one with a flu, not one, because the blood, because the blood didn't just drive off the destroyer. There was something about the blood that all those who were in the, as they were lying in bed that night with the blood on the lentils of the doorpost, oh my gosh, my finger. Feelings come back into my fingertips. Oh, my joints, they're not sore anymore. Hey, what's happened to my back? It's, oh, my ankles are, there wasn't one feeble among them. Jesus, when he died on the cross, when he shed his blood, his blood was so powerful. The blood of the sinless, blameless, spotless son of the living God. When he shed his blood, he saved you. He delivered you. He transformed you from curse to blessing so that you can prosper, so that you can flourish. And that he also healed you. He healed you. All the diseases God says that I put on Egypt, I will not put on you. He's a God of healing. So, so we're going to pray in a moment. No cancer can remain if you're under the blood. The blood of Jesus was so powerful. Somebody say amen. So the first murder in the Bible was Cain murdered Abel. Was Cain murdered Abel. And it's a prophetic picture. It's a prophetic picture that, that the sons of Cain, which the Bible says were the sons of wickedness, would murder Abel sons of righteousness. So Abel, his name comes from two Hebrew roots, Ab, A-B, which is father, and El, which is God. And what's interesting is that Cain brings an offering. This is, says there came a day where Cain brings an offering and Abel brings an offering. In Genesis 3, God cursed the ground and Abel brings an offering of the fruit of the ground. In other words, he's saying, hey God, I believe that my own works, my own strength, can, can produce righteousness, can produce something that meets your standard. And God says, no, no, my curse is greater than human effort. No matter how hard you try for perfection, you will always fall short. You can't do it. But Abel knows no matter what I do, no matter what I bring, I can't measure up. Something innocent has to die. And so he brings a lamb. The Bible says he brings a lamb, the firstborn from among his flock. And the Bible says God respected Abel and his offering, but did not respect Cain. So Cain lures Abel, Abel, Father God, who brings forth a lamb, an innocent lamb, lures him into the field and strikes him and kills him. It sets the thermostat on what would happen in history. That the sons of this world would, would murder in a field 
Abel, Father God, who brings forth his lamb and Jesus. But watch this. God comes down and he says to, he says to Cain, he says, hey, Cain, where's your brother? And Cain has killed him in the field and hidden him. And he's like, well, how, how, how do I know? What am I, my brother's keeper? And goes, well, actually, you're meant to be. You're meant to be. You know, the, the first words of a murderer is, what, am I my brother's keeper? I'm not responsible for anybody but myself. No, no, we're meant to take care of one another. We're meant to be each other's brothers and keepers. But watch this. God says, what is this that you have done? Watch this. What is this that you have done? This is long before CSI discovered DNA, forensic medicine. God says, what is this that you have done? Your brother's blood, his innocent blood, cries to me from the earth for justice. Now, it's a snapshot of Jesus. Jesus is the scarlet man. He is the man who would be the atoning sacrifice of blood that on the cross he would, he would shed his blood he, and that blood would have a frequency that will cry out to God justice. But watch this. God used it all because the Bible says that Satan, now God created Lucifer, but in his rebellion, he becomes, so Lucifer means light bearer, but in his rebellion against God, he becomes Satan or Satan, which means accuser. The Bible says he stands before the throne of God night and day accusing the saints. So here's the deal. He is accusing me before God saying, you can't bless Jürgen. He did this, 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 and this. He is bringing exhibit A, exhibit B into the courtroom. And I'm like, oh, shoot. He's got me on every single one of those. And then, oh, man, I thought no one saw that. You know, you told me to do that. You said it was fine. No one was looking. And are you sneaky little? And so he's got all of those things. And he's bringing them all before God to disqualify me. If I was honest with you, you know, he, he presents a pretty darn good case. I mean, if I was honest with you, it's watertight. If, if I was honest with you, I'm looking at that and listening to him, and I'm like, yeah, I'm done. I'm screwed. You know, I may as well just. But, 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 the Bible says that the blood of an innocent. Now, if, if innocent Cain was murdered unjustly and his blood had, has a frequency, how much more the blood of the sinless, blameless, spotless Lamb of God that was brutally murdered, crucified on a cross. The frequency of His blood is at such a tone, is at such a level that the devil standing before God accusing Telling God why he can't let you into heaven is completely drowned out by the blood that Jesus put under the mercy seat. The blood of Jesus cancels out all the accusations of the devil. The blood of Jesus washes out all your sin. This, this year, uh, we, had a, we had a week where we lost two great lights. We lost two great voices in our world. The first one was uh, Rush Limbaugh. Rush Limbaugh was, a, I believe, a prophetic voice. A prophetic voice is a seer. They're not necessarily just a forth teller, but one who can see. And in the midst of confusion, they can bring clarity. In the midst of, man, that's just a gray area. They can separate black from white. They can separate darkness from light. Like, oh my gosh, that's right. That's wrong. That's good. That's evil. That's what they can do. And that's what Rush did. Within 24 hours of Rush dying, within 24 hours of Rush dying, 
another Christian artist called Carmen went to be with the Lord. It's amazing how these things happen. The, the, the same day that Mother Teresa died, Lady Diana died. There's all, these things always come in, in twos. And uh, significant voices because it's, it's a shifting of the time. It's a zeitgeist of something that's happening. And so Carmen went to, to, to be with the Lord. Carmen was a hero of mine and he wrote a number of songs that we used to perform when we were first saved and he really shaped a lot of our Christianity. And I want you to watch this song that he does and if we can take this down and then we're going to have communion at the end of it. This is very, very powerful. So uh, fix your eyes on the screen. looks that a strong armed soldier whip clenched in his fist laced with chips of bone they beat him hard from his shoulders to his feet and it sliced right through his olive skin just like razors through a sheep countless times the blood splattered as each inhuman lash was given several times his knees gave way as his flesh just The soldier's face turned pale when he said, This blood is for you. Uncaringly, they tossed a garment across his weakened form, and his blood pressure fell deathly low as the crowds began to swarm. They forced him to carry his cross uphill his face they punched and smacked, while the splinters from the crisscross beam dug deep into his back. Through lack of sleep and dehydration, his tongue began to swell, and weakened by his loss of blood, this prophet teacher fell. When he did, some blood splattered on a man named Simon's shoe, and as he bent to wipe it off, the prophet looked and said, Simon, this blood is for you. This blood can save the soul, heal the sick, mend the heart. This blood can give you access to the very throne of God. And it still can go the distance through the pain to where you are. This blood Bursting arteries and veins. And as they dropped the cross in the hole they dug, his body convulsed with pain. In agony and torment that never a soul shall find. He tilts his face towards heaven with full control of his mind. With more love than any human heard before that time or since. 
day makes the strongest skeptic wince. He cried, Father God, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And as he gave his life for those lost in sin, he was saying, this blood is Come on, let's give God a praise. <laughs> Hallelujah. Come on, will you stand with me as we come to a close? And let's take the, the emblems. The Bible says, Jesus on the night of Passover. The disciples had no idea when Jesus said, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you. It's because Jesus is saying, I've been so looking forward to this because I think you'll finally realize why I came. Because they're still bickering. They're still squabbling. Like just a few few hours earlier, he said, listen, we're going to go into Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed by men, handed over the Gentiles. They're going to crucify me. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be mocked, spat upon, rejected by the elders. And, you know, I'm going to die on a cross. But don't worry, I'll rise on the third day. And the disciples are like, yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, uh, yeah, that's cool. When you get to heaven, can you permit that I sit on your right and he sits on your left? Like it just, like are you... So Jesus like, I'm so longing to eat the Passover with you that your eyes might be open to see that I am the Passover lamb. That when Jesus died on the cross, it was at the time of Passover. So that now God passes over our sin. The destroyer must pass over. What you have in your hands is the emblems of what Jesus did on the cross. We had a son who struggled with a severe addiction. And people kept saying that this thing takes people out all the time. But what Leanne and I did was we just continually took communion 
There were times where he didn't want to be saved. There were times where he wanted to die. And I remember one time laying on his bed, having communion while I was laying on his bed. And I had no idea that he was in another place and he had overdosed. And the devil came to him in the overdose and said, I've got you. And all of a sudden, an angel came and grabbed my boy's hand and pulled him back and says, no, no, no. His papa is praying for him. Oh, it's just a little wafer and just some juice. Really? It's symbolic. It's a faith. It's faith in what Christ did on the cross. I want you to know that we've seen cancers healed. Tumors shrivel up and disappear. We see it not once every now and again. We see it on a weekly basis. There's so much power in the blood of the Lamb of God. Sins forgiven. Chains broken. You can come in with all kinds of ang mental anguish and anxieties and fears and phobias. And, but I want you to know this is a house of freedom. There is a power that is unleashed. The destroyer must pass over. Maybe you've got friends and loved ones. Maybe you've got mums and dads who are away from Christ, away from God. Sons and daughters, brothers and sisters. Salvation, when the, the father took the lamb and he put it on the lentils, the whole house was saved. The whole house was saved. The kids may not have even had any faith. They may have been rebelling, but the whole house was saved because of the act of, of the one. So, Father, right now we thank you for the bread. Let's take the bread. And Father, we thank you right now for Christ's body that was broken on the cross so that our broken bodies could be healed. And Father, we thank you right now that salvation comes to us in our household. And Father, we take the, the, the juice, the wine. And remember that this wine is the blood of the new covenant. The old covenant was if we can keep the law, we can walk with God. But all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There are none righteous, no, not one. So the new covenant is Christ came and He fulfilled that law. And then on the cross, He made an exchange. The cross was a place of exchange. The Apostle Paul says that God made Him who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become in exchange the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. God made an exchange. He took our sin and put it on the Christ. And he took his righteousness and he put it on us. Every year, every year on the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, the high priest would lean on a one-year-old lamb, a sinless, innocent little lamb. And he would confess the entire sins of the nation on that lamb. And that lamb would give its blood so that Israel's sins could be forgiven. But the reason it had to be a lamb without spot, without blemish, without wrinkle was because it wasn't just that the sin would go onto the lamb. It was so that the innocence of the lamb would be accounted to the nation of Israel, that God would see them as sinless, blameless, spotless, without wrinkle. When Jesus was on the cross, he was the fulfillment of all of those things so that in Christ we have forgiveness, we have redemption. So come on, lift your hands one more time. Father, I thank you right now. I rebuke any sickness and disease, infirmity in anybody. Right now, I command you to leave. I command you to part. Anybody that's tormented, anybody that's bound by an addiction, 
Anybody that's bound by a gambling addiction, a lust addiction, a porn addiction, an anger addiction that can't help but getting angry, a drug addiction, an alcohol addiction, I break its grip and I break its power off your life, off your mind, off your soul, off your spirit now in Jesus' name. I thank you that freedom flows, freedom flows. Those who are struggling with guilt and with shame, I break that spirit now. Jesus didn't die to bring shame. He died to remove shame. He died to remove guilt. And I thank you for freedom flowing over you right now. I thank you, Father God, those who have been struggling, struggling financially, struggling under a curse. I declare every generational curse, every generational curse broken off their lives, broken off their lives, broken off their lives, broken off their lives now in the name of Jesus. I declare they've escaped from the snare of the fowler. I declare they move from curse into blessing. I declare they move from lack into abundance. I declare they move from struggle into prosperity and blessing in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. I declare that they are the head and not the tail, above only and not beneath. They are blessed in the city and blessed in the country. Blessed going in and blessed going out. I declare greater is he that is in them than he that is in the world. Father, we thank you for favor. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said. Come on, one more time. Give God a great praise. Give God a great praise. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.